For most of us who have never been in such a situation, it's really difficult to imagine how one person can find themselves trapped and controlled by another. How can that happen? Why can't you just leave? Well, after hearing the traumatic story of our guest on this episode, I now fully understand. Anna Marie Lopez found herself in just such a situation, and her description of how it progressively happened is so open and honest. You just can't help but feel it. Thankfully, Anna is now free of the abusive individual who controlled her, but only through her own incredible resolve and the unexpected kindness of others. This is an empowering story of surviving domestic abuse, of having the strength to find a way out, and of helping others once you have. Anna Marie Lopez is a remarkable woman, and we're proud to share her story here on One of the Eight. But the truth is that you're deserving of dignity, of love and respect, and you should never have to settle for less than that. I'm Jake Worley, and this is One of the Eight, bringing you the real-life stories of real-world people, the things they have achieved, and the things that have inspired them. Hi, everyone. In today's episode on the One of the Eight podcast, we're joined by somebody who has not only survived great adversity, but turned that adversity into an incredible motivation to support those going through the same experiences that she did. She is an example to all of us and somebody that I can't wait to hear more from. So, Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a joy to be here with you today. Well, thank you for joining us. And to give our listeners a little bit of background information, I actually was first given your contact information by a former guest onto the podcast, Anand Kapoor, who some of our listeners may remember right from the very beginning, who I've since learned is a good friend of yours. And he told me kind of some of your background and kind of what's gone on in your life and some of the incredible things that you've done and kind of turning Mm -hmm. your adversity around but to give kind of a little bit of background information and help us understand what we'll talk about later could you start Mm -hmm. by telling us a little bit about kind of where you grew up as a child and what your household was like to grow up in? Sure my parents immigrated to the UAE from India over 30 years ago and later on I was born here and brought up here as well And I grew up as an only child. My dad was um, battling alcoholism ever since I can remember. So so childhood was was pretty traumatic to begin with. And considering what was going on at home, you know, I was a pretty quiet person, very to myself, whether it was in school or with friends. And once I was done with school, I went on to get my bachelor's in mass communication. But unfortunately, a year later, I had to withdraw from the program because, you know, of the challenges we were facing as a family at the time. So all in all, it was definitely a tough start to life, I would say. I mean, there were were great moments that we had as a family, you know, in between all of that. But I grew up to be this broken teenage girl with a lot of need for love, attention, and desperately looking for a way out of an unhealthy home environment, I would say. And was that unhealthy environment, was that something that was exclusive between your parents? Or I mean, how was your relationship with your parents? So the, I mean, primarily, yes, you know, it was something that was happening between my mom and my dad. Um, you know, and he tended to get abusive 
in nature after he was under the influence. So for me to sort of witness that was was pretty traumatic. And having to witness that, it sort of didn't give me a chance to have the best relationship with my dad or my mom because they were just so focused on him and so focused on, you know, keeping the family together, battling through those those tough times. So it really just felt as if we were, you know, three people under one roof, kind of living three separate lives and trying to sort of like push through, um, you know, all of the tough things that uh, we were going through because of what my dad was uh, was dealing with. So, I mean, this was all happening from a very young age for yourself. Were you kind of, were you aware from speaking to, you know, peers and, you know, fellow classmates as a kid, were you aware that this was something that probably was not in the norm or because you saw it from, you know, such an early age, did you Mm -hmm. just kind of think, well, I guess this is kind of what, you know, family house life is like? Right. So, I mean, you know, for me, I think I was really ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it with my peers. Um, I feel like because of where we were at the time, I was in a school where we had people from, from say, a lot of people from India or, you know, a lot of Asian communities. And I think these are certain things that people don't often talk about. And, and so that is something that was, you know, in me as well, this quality that, you know, okay, this is something that's going on at home. It doesn't seem right. I'm not going to talk about it. And so you know, I hid it from a lot of my friends for for a long time. But I did know that, you know, this, this is something um, that isn't right, or this is something that's painful, and this isn't how it should be. Because, I mean, growing up, you do, you know, spend time with your friends, families, and you you do see how different uh, they function. Yes. And so you, you tend to realize that, okay, you know, something's, something's wrong here and this isn't how it's supposed to be. And did that kind of, you know, it's a, a crucial age in kind of a person's development. Did it affect mm-hmm. your ability to kind of maintain and build friendships kind of outside family as well? So definitely growing up with, you know, um, a dad was struggling with alcoholism uh, affected my friendships and maintaining those friendships and relationships with with friends and peers because you know there was a, it was a very different lifestyle that i had to lead it was mostly a time where i would spend a lot of time just being home and it was it wasn't easy to sort of open up about what was going on and and being in that kind of an environment it sort of changes your personality you know i i i when i look back now i realized that I became this this very withdrawn person. What was really going on was that, you know, there was so much at home that I was dealing with and that I was not comfortable with, with sharing with people that I just sort of ended up keeping to myself. So, I mean, clearly you've got, you know, a very difficult childhood and a really challenging upbringing here. But often, you know, I've found from stories I've heard in the yeah. past of people who've had something similar, the people who have been in this situation often find their feet and a way to develop personally once they enter into a relationship where, you know, there's, there's love, compassion and, you know, positive emotion outside of the family. 
can you talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about how the person who was later go on to so negatively define your life, how they actually came into your life? Sure. Um, so I met my ex-husband through common friends in, it was around 2005, I believe. And my friends at the time told me that he was this amazing person and that they couldn't wait for me to meet him. And they spoke very, very highly of him because of who he was, which is an inspiring spiritual leader of sorts. And they thought that, you know, with everything that was going on at home, with all of the things that I was struggling with, that he would be someone that would really impact my life in a positive way. And in all honesty, when I met him, he was very charismatic and he worked very closely with the Christian community and we we started spending a lot of time together. And so a couple of, you know, weeks into spending time with each other, we, you know, he expressed that he had feelings for me and we started dating fairly quickly, which is something that I recall so clearly because for some reason at that point I didn't want to get into a relationship. But he came off as this extremely persistent person and got me to believe that he was the right person for me somehow because he cared for me so much and he invested uh, so much of time uh, in me during that short period of time. And so being the person that I was, a very naive, quiet person, you know, a person who found it very difficult to say no, I gave in and I said to myself, you know, let's give this a try. And little did I know that once I was in this relationship, there was literally no way of going, you know, getting out of it. And I presume kind of, you know, you talked there about he was clearly somebody that you must have felt at least as a bare minimum comfortable and happy enough around that you would even entertain the idea of a relationship mm-hmm. when did you not kind of uh, I mean I presume the answer to this is a no or you wouldn't have gone ahead but I guess you didn't none of the warning signs were there in the beginning no they definitely weren't I mean he was I mean that first initial phase was was extremely like you know meeting someone who was I wouldn't say meeting you know someone I would usually meet but in fact um, it was different in the sense that he was very, um, he was, he seemed very inspiring. So, so it was as very charismatic, like I said before, you know, someone you'd want to be around. Right. Okay. Um, but when did, when did you start to notice then that things were starting to change? So it all started out, you know, great as I mentioned, and he was extremely charming, you know, took me out to dinners, spent a lot of time with each other. But gradually, a couple of weeks or maybe a month into the relationship, this this time that he was spending into me changed to control and then slowly into manipulation and then abuse. And what I mean by that is he started to gradually isolate me from my friends you know he'd ask me to change the way I dressed or the way I presented myself he was very controlling of who I spent my time with 
And he even went to the point of getting me a new SIM card and even changed my email address as a way of disconnecting me from my friends who he believed were a negative influence on me so that I could start this so-called new chapter with, with people who were, who were better, who were good. And, um, you know, at the time, as these things started to happen, it just sort of started like a cycle. And there were a lot of strange things that were happening um, at this time as well that I couldn't understand at that point. And things like, you know, receiving anonymous emails or, you know, emails from his so-called friends that I later came to find out never existed in the first place. And wow. yeah, I mean, but the real tragedy was when he forced me to marry him, I think it was about maybe six months to eight months into a relationship because of the community that he was in and the traditions that his family, um, you know, were, they had. And so there was this immense pressure from him on me that we get married. And I agreed because there was this part of me that was afraid to say no, that didn't know how to say no. And this other part of me that wanted to get away from a broken home. And in fact, I think at that point of time, looking at how things were happening, you know, between my mom and dad, I said to myself, um, you know, maybe this may be just a little bit better than where I'm at. And so, and so we ended up getting married. And I mean, at that point of time, I could see the warning signs, but I chose to I chose to ignore them or I chose to blame myself instead and say, you know what, maybe it'll all be okay. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm, I'm not sure if, if you have an answer to this question, but I mean, you know, you describe kind of the community that he's come from and clearly he's, you know, somebody who is respected and people listen to. I would, I guess, from a naive understanding of this, expect that, somebody that would treat you the way that he was would treat you that way because perhaps they are lonely or unsuccessful or, you know, that there'll be something that they would want to inflict on another person. But I get the impression that he doesn't really, he didn't seem to have any of these kind of deficiencies or insecurities Mm -hmm. that would justify, not that this behavior is justifiable, but explain the behavior. Right you're very true in saying that because, you know, he appeared to be this person who was extremely loved and admired by, by so many. Um, But, you know, deep down inside, I I believe there is a story where, you know, they, they say, there's a saying that goes that, you know, hurt people um, hurt others. And so I really feel that that's where it all um, roots from that he's had a past or he's had a childhood He's had experiences in his life that have that have really affected him. Maybe he's had insecurities growing up, but that's all been sort of is is all hidden behind this person who he he wants to be or he appears to be. Right. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, it's really it's really kind of 
I guess, disturbing to see that, you know, even somebody who from the outset seems to have, you know, most of the things in their life going so well mm-hmm. are still capable yep. of such behavior. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously I would, I would never want you to have to bring the details up, but, you know, to kind of try and put things into perspective from reading some of the notes that I read on you and, you know, some of the writings that you've done. I mean, he, you know, the, the abuse was, it was emotional, it was physical, it was mental, and it was financial. And, you know, yes. I believe it, this lasted roughly six years. And kind of one of my questions for you is, were your family aware of what was going on at the time? So, yes, they were aware. Initially, it was a bit difficult to sort of voice out to them because he had put me in this position where he had, you know, isolated me from from everyone to the extent of taking away my phone and even monitoring my online movements through a spyware software on my laptop. So there was no way of, of really having the privacy to speak to my mom and dad about what was going on because he had to be there for me to, to have a conversation. And he was always around and he made sure he was always around. But there were these moments that I'd get where, you know, we'd go over to my mom and dad's place or, you know, we'd meet for some reason or the other. And I'd, I'd try to sort of voice out on the on the hide and tell them, you know, this is what's happening. And to be very honest, considering what my mom had gone through for all those years with my dad, to her, it was, you know, unfortunate, but she wasn't able to sort of, um, to sort of be there for me the way I wanted her to be there for me. Right. Because she was going through whatever she was going through. And I think she had sort of built this resilience or that's what she calls it you know to sort of stick through it and endure abuse I mean that's what her mindset has been and that's what she expected me to to do as well that to just stick through it to push through it and to to somehow make the marriage work to her abuse was the norm you know considering that she had experienced it with yes. my dad. So, so that's what it was with, with my parents. So you managed to, you know, thankfully and incredibly, six years later, you, you know, you've managed to find a potential way out of this situation. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you managed to, I guess the fairest word to say is escape? Yes. Um, wow, that's, uh, you know, I can remember that day, like to this, I mean, to this very point, but I'd like to just go back a little bit and, you know, talk about how it led to that point because, you know, it's, it really, when you look at it from that perspective, it's almost a miracle or it it is a miracle that I was able to escape because six years in that marriage and, um, you know, like you said, you, you've read through some of my notes and um, there's been this gradual cycle or this gradual increase and in escalation of abuse uh, that I was experiencing, which started from 
from verbal and then built up to physical abuse you know mental abuse and it it reached a point where it even got sexual in nature and those were really you know traumatic times where it put me in a position where i felt so helpless because i felt like there was no way out i mean my family was not in a position to support me because my dad was struggling with with his own um you know battles of alcoholism and my mom was in this i would say in the space of denial or you know kept trying to expect that i would work things out right and there are people who just don't you realize that there are people who just don't understand who just don't either want to believe you or they do believe you but they just don't know how to help you because they've never uh possibly you know experienced or they've never come across this situation before and so i was i was just so withdrawn so isolated i didn't have a key to my apartment um you know i didn't have a bank account i didn't have um i didn't have the right to to get a job so it was it was literally as if i was being imprisoned you know i i i lost all of my identity yes. at that and it just led to a lot of depression a lot of um mental health issues as well because i just felt like you know i'm trapped in this in this uh situation where i'm being harmed where i'm constantly you know walking on eggshells and i don't know what to expect the next minute i don't know when he's going to you know react a particular way and harm me and it had come to a point at i think 5 years down the line where he realized that i wanted to get out of this and i was trying to reach out for help that he started to threaten me that he would hurt me if i ever tried to leave like hurt me in the sense he to quote him he would say you know i'll kill you if you ever try to leave i'll i'll find you and i'll kill you so that was the fear that was you know in me um through all of that time and i'd come to this point where i'm like you know what this is going to be my life forever there's no way out you know i'm the, either i i die you know at his hands or this is it you know i have to accept that this is what my life's going to be like and there was this point in 2011 where i met with someone who had come to the church actually and she herself was a domestic violence survivor and um she was the first person in all of those 6 years who really understood what i was going through i mean i immediately sort of reached out to her because i knew that i could trust i don't know it was something in me possibly the fact that she herself was a survivor that led me to to sort of open up to her and she was extremely supportive and she completely understood that um you know when i said that i need to get out of the situation and she was willing to help me which was something that was out of the ordinary because no one else was willing to take the risk yeah uh um you know helping i mean it's 
they would find themselves in a very, I would say, a compromising situation, perhaps. And the way it all sort of transpired was that, um, you know, she reached out to a couple of nonprofit organizations in India, because I mean, that's where I'm originally from. And she thought that, you know, it would be best to sort of um, get help from an organization because I would require that legal and that, um, you know, this, this 360 degree support system, yes. like a really strong support system. And at that point of time, we didn't have resources in Dubai, or at least being an expat in the country, I wasn't feeling comfortable to sort of, you know, reach out, considering that maybe I would feel unsafe, or maybe, you know, it'd be easier for him to come find me. So I had all of these fears. And we sort of came down to just thinking about, let's reach out to organizations outside the UAE. And one of the organizations that responded back positively um, was a was an organization in New Delhi called Maitri India, and they just they were they were so amazing that they just said you know um, as long as Anna can find her way here to Delhi, uh, that's all we need, and then we take care of everything. And that was just like a blanket response, which was ever so comforting when I heard that. Um, but the question here was that, how was I going to leave? Yes, because, right. I mean, you know, the blanket's there, but how do you get to it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I mean, the, the, the most important part here was that I didn't have a hold of my passport because my passport was kept under lock and key with my, um, my, hus- my ex-husband's parents, my in-laws. And, and so I was you know, thinking to myself, wow, okay, at least I know that there are people who are willing to help me, but, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I get to that place? And it so happened that a couple of months down the line, like we had kept all of this in mind, and a couple of months down the line, my ex-husband comes to me and tells me that, you know, we are making a trip to the States, and so you need to apply for your um, your visa. And he hands me my passport and he just tells me to, you know, schedule my interview date. And so what I do is I kind of, there's a date that's for like the day after, but instead of picking that date, I pick a date that's a few weeks down the line so that I have some time with my passport. And uh, I immediately informed my friend when I met her next and I said, you know what, I have my passport and this is, this might be it. This might be the right time for me to leave. And um, I gave her some of the money that I had. I used to hide money under my bed um, so that my ex-husband wouldn't find it. And I'd given her that money and I'd said, you know, just this is the money that I can buy my ticket with. And I just really need your help in in helping me plan this because obviously I won't be able to do it with him being around and I'm not in the state of mind 
to even put this all together. I'm so afraid, but I know that I want to leave. And so she went ahead. Um, you know, we agreed on a date. She booked my ticket. And this is the crazy part, how on a Friday, um, which is when we usually go to church, uh, we went into church and I just went, I put my passport in my pocket. I then, um, you know, walked in very normally or tried to be very normal. And um, this couple comes up to my ex-husband and says they want to chat with him which was very unusual because that usually never happens uh, before the service starts. And so right. he takes them to an office that's, uh, you know, in the church building. And that gave me time to sort of walk out and, you know, get into a car and drive to the airport. And um, so that's what I did. As soon as he, he left to the office with that couple, to have a conversation I immediately you know walked out I just um, had my friends they were they picked me up they were like waiting outside for me actually and they drove me to the airport and from there I got on a flight to India wow <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean I'm guessing you know from the kind of the the secrecy of being able to pull this off I presume you didn't have anything with you so did you leave to India with, with nothing more than your passport that's right there was no, nothing more than my passport I'd given like a few very very few things that I could to my friend to pack for me um, you know separately but I didn't take it with me but it was just very minimal most of my things most of my belongings were all were pretty much just all left behind. I left everything, almost everything behind. Wow. I mean, that's incredibly courageous. And I mean, you know, it's very, very, very powerful of your friends as well. But I mean, once you got there, uh, mm. how long did you spend in India? And kind of what does a person do when they arrive to, you know, okay, you're originally from there, but you're essentially arriving to a brand new country with nothing more than the passport. Yep. Yep. So, um, it was, it was terrifying for me, to be honest, um, you know, to just sort of embark on this journey of, I would say, the unknown, because, you know, I've, I'm leaving everything that's familiar behind. Um, but at the same time, I'm, the pain and the, the trauma of the abuse was so much that it gave me the courage to just leave. And as soon as I got to Delhi, I was so fortunate to, to have this nonprofit organization really just embrace me. And I, I know for a fact that, you know, th this isn't something that, that is normal or this isn't something that you can expect all the time. But for some reason, I was so blessed to have them sort of take me in. You know, they, they booked a hotel room for me. They, they sort of had a lawyer in place for me who, who looked into my case pro bono. And then eventually they even, you know, tried to find me a job because obviously I had to support myself. I did have friends who were, you know, sending me money until I could sustain myself. But um, eventually I ended up working for the very same organization that 
that helped me. And that's how I sort of started rebuilding my life again um, in this whole new in this whole new country or this whole new city that I'd never been to before. Uh, it was extremely new. It was extremely scary. There were so many new things to learn. So many, you know, first times for me, you know, op- like opening a bank account, or or really just having my first job. So these were really big steps, and it took me a couple of. I think it took me about a year or so to to say that okay, I'm finally sort of finding my feet again. Well, I mean, I think the most incredible thing that you've just said there is mm-hmm. that you said you were truly blessed. I mean, for somebody to go through all of this and to have to go through the levels that you went through to escape the situation, it's it's a true testament to who you are as a person that those words of I'm blessed have even come out of your mouth. It's incredible. Um, but my my question to you is, once you started to kind of feel as though you were potentially coming out of the other side of this situation mm-hmm. and starting to rebuild your life, mm-hmm. uh, has this situation that you went through, has it affected your perception of men and your perception of religion? In all honesty, this entire experience it didn't actively affect my perception of, of men, but it did um, affect my perception of people in authority. Um, and it took me a while to, to realize that because initially I thought that, you know, my perception of men would, would completely change. Whereas thankfully it didn't. But whenever I was faced with a person in authority, whether it's, you know, a family member or a boss or, or anyone in a, in a position of authority, it would trigger a lot of, um, trigger a lot of anxiety. And so I really had to talk about what had happened and be mindful of, you know, how this was affecting me in order to heal from it. And so that it wouldn't affect my relationships going forward. And when it comes to religion, well, yes, I, I honestly have this hunch about the institution in itself and not necessarily my own personal faith, because I feel like that is somehow unaffected, but there has there is definitely a lot of what goes wrong or injustices that happen within the spiritual or private space that has a lot to do with possibly ignorance or lack of awareness or lack of proper leadership. So while I'm not a big fan of the institution in itself, I do know that doesn't mean that everything is tainted, um, you know, because of this, this experience. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, incredibly inspiring way to react to your situation it is just fantastic it really is it's mind-blowing that you're even kind of having this outlook on life it really is it's incredible um and thankfully due to this incredible spirit that you have Mm -hmm. things as i understand are now looking brighter and i believe you are now happily and healthily in a good relationship yes i am i'm happily married (laughs) Ah, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, 
So could you talk to us a little bit about some of the campaigning that you've done and some of the initiatives that you've been part of since kind of coming out of the other side of this environment? Sure. Um, so soon after, I mean, getting to Delhi, as I said, um, a big, a big part of um, what empowered me to to start campaigning on, you know, violence against women, against, I mean, ending violence against women was was the organization in itself, because um, they themselves were so established in in helping women and in helping a lot of underprivileged or, um, you know, destitute populations in India in itself. And I think the moment that that really, you know, struck me as the beginning of sharing or empowering other women for me was when I started to share my story on a public platform um, that's with various you know, media channels or um, really any portal that really wanted to raise awareness. And so we started campaigning as an organization and I would talk about my story, um, you know, with, with various groups of people, with various agencies. And that was how I really, you know, started to see my story as a way of helping other women rather than, you know, just keeping it to myself and saying, you know, this is something that I'm ashamed of, or this is a chapter in my life that I don't ever want to talk about, because I think that is something that we tend to do, um, you, you know, possibly in our own society, where we just kind of put that aside, we don't want to talk about it, because it's seen as a failure, you know, you went through a broken marriage, let's just move on with life. But, um, you know, sharing my story really just changed that perspective and it really gave purpose to, to everything that I'd been through. I really, I think as much as it was empowering other women, it was empowering me. And, um, you know, I also got very much involved in a few other organizations, such as Anand, which is the you know, CSSG, and we, we did some amazing work where we kind of put a voice to a lot of women across the country who were suffering or enduring what I would like to say um, are patriarchal beliefs and the effects of those patriarchal beliefs. And so we really just, you know, used our voices to recite poem of Maya Angelou and Still I Rise, and also recite poems that were written by uh, some amazing young women across India. So I've had the, the honor of really being part of these amazing campaigns. And along the way, I've also just been sharing my story um, as I am today with, with various um, people who are in that space where they want to create awareness on ending violence against women. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what's so selfless about it is that I think, you know, you could easily be forgiven for simply thinking, right, I've come out of this, I'm 
clear and out on the other side. I don't want to ever talk about, remember any of this, but you know, even coming here and talking to me today on the podcast, you're constantly having to relive all of the things that most people would just want to forget. And I, f- I find that kind of the bravest thing about what you're doing is actually, I guess, consistently reliving all of these horrible situations. Yeah, well, you know, I think the thing that really pushes me to do that, to, to share my story, I mean, it isn't like I'm, um, you know, I really believe that when it comes to campaigning, it doesn't really have to be in this in this massive, um, you know, in this massive way, where real campaigning is really just about, you know, starting with your own community, you know, starting at the grassroots levels, um, you know, educating the people around you, whether it's your family or your friends, and really branching it out from there. And the reason I do that is because I remember when I was in that marriage and I was suffering you know, the, the, the abuse was the only thing I knew. And so that became so loud. But it was when I would stumble upon these blogs and these websites where women, where other women would share their stories and talked about what abuse is. It was like this soothing balm to my wounds because that was the first time that I felt I was being validated. And so I remember those days and I think to myself, you know, now it's your turn to be that, that soothing bomb to someone else who's, who's going through what you were going through years back. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. It really is. Um, And I guess at the moment, I mean, especially here in the UK, there's been lots of conversations in the news and the media about the fact that, you know, as we're going through this, you know, at the time we're recording this, we're going through the COVID pandemic Mm -hmm. and with the amount of lockdowns and kind of movement restrictions that have taken place around the world, there have been rising cases of domestic violence. And I wanted to know what's your message for anyone who hears this and might be in a similar situation to what you went through. I'd really love to tell them that, you know, to never give up because when you're in that position, you feel helpless and, you know, you might be feeling like there's no way out or that perhaps that you deserve to be going through what you're going through. But the truth is that you're deserving of dignity, of love and respect, and you should never have to settle for less than that. And though these might be trying times, I mean, especially now we're going through the COVID pandemic and it's so difficult to to reach out or to get the help and resources that you need, Um, you know, do your best to just take it one day at a time, you know, stay safe, create that safety plan, um, you know, for that time, for when it comes, you can get out of the situation and live a free a free life wow it's just incredible it's a fantastic really powerful message and i think you know a lot of people who have been in this increasingly difficult time and these situations have been happening it's a message that you know is really going to hit home and i hope it really as i've no doubt it will helps people build up the, the same courage that you had during that time to kind of find a way out um 
So my last question for you, as I get each of our guests to talk about on our podcast, we'd like to hear about something that has inspired you, whether it be someone or something, something that can be often people will talk about a film or a book, or perhaps it was a moment or somebody. So Anna, we'd like to know who or what has inspired you. (laughs) Okay, well, um, I think what's inspired me the most in my life is experiencing and seeing the kindness in people that you least expected from I mean we all expect support from our loved ones you know our family but to see it from a stranger or a, a collective of um, I'd call them Samaritans you know just wholeheartedly and selflessly going out of their way to the point of sacrificing their own lives for your happiness and well-being that to me is out of this world and after all you know right now we are living in times where discrimination and inequality and injustices are on the rise and as much as we're fighting for people's rights and you know the good there's so much of suffering in the world and in the midst of that suffering when someone does a good deed or is a is a catalyst for change it stands out it shines and it really makes a world of a difference. And I say that because it's happened to me. And without a doubt, I couldn't have been here today having this conversation with you in the freedom of my home if it wasn't for those, those really kind-hearted strangers who really turned into to family and friends. So really, they are the ones who inspire me the most. Wow, fabulous. I mean, they are the people that have come into your life and I've no doubt you've done exactly the same thing for many other people. And all I can say is don't ever change. (laughs) Thank you, that's so kind of you to say. I think you've been incredibly brave, inspiring and just a fantastic person to listen to. And I, I really, you know, I'm in awe of your bravery for sharing this story and actually turning it into something that can help other people. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful for, you know, a chance to just to share my story. Um, so it's, it's really been, it's really been an honor to, to come on the show and to, to really share the journey with you. There are almost 8 billion people on our planet and Anna Marie Lopez is one of the 8. You can discover more about Anna, how she escaped an abusive relationship and how the kindness of others helped her do so online at oneoftheeight.com. Everyone has a story to share. Everyone has something to give. Everyone can inspire. One of the Eight is a movement of real world people from across the globe sharing real-life stories, inspiring others, enriching lives, and giving something back. I am, you are, everyone is one of the eight. Now streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join the movement at oneoftheeight.com.